Now, how do you survive? How do you do it? Because we do, don't we? We survived yesterday. That's why we're here today. Um, how do we survive? And, and are we surviving? Are we? Now, surviving implies a destination, doesn't it? If I start a race and I fail to finish it, uh, there's a sense in which I can't say that I survived it. I didn't get to the end. How do we survive? Just It's an ordinary day. How do we do it? How do we get through? And is it even surviving? Now, if we say, well, I don't really think about it. I just get on with it. I just, you know, I just, just do. Maybe our surviving isn't surviving at all. How do we survive? How do we do it? Now, we're working our way through Matthew's account of Jesus' life. We're getting towards the end. Uh, at the beginning, Matthew tells how Jesus burst onto the scene and declared his mission in Matthew 4. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus' mission is to be the king. The king has come. He's bringing in a new kingdom. And then as his ministry expands in chapter 16 and 17 and 20, Jesus the king shows the path to his, it's a, the path to his throne is a path through suffering. It's a path through suffering because he wants to bring with him sinners and rebels into his people. He came to save a people from their sins and he came to do all that is needed to bring such people into the kingdom of heaven. And we're getting towards the end of it. And Matthew's arranged his account of Jesus' life around these kind of big five blocks of Jesus' teaching. And, And we're coming now to the fifth and final block. Chapter 24 and 25 is that final block of Jesus' teaching. And it's all about the future. Jesus comes to the climax of his mission. He's just days away from the cross, just days away from the empty tomb as well. Um, And this teaching is about what will follow afterwards. And Matthew 24 is a tricky passage. There's so much um, Old Testament background in this. Uh, As I was preparing this week, I thought maybe we should pause our series in Matthew and, and spend, I don't know, six months working through Daniel um, in order to understand what's going on here. Um, I haven't done that. Um, so please do bear with me as I try to explain things. If things aren't clear, please do ask questions. Please get in touch. I'd love to talk to you more about this. Um, but let's, let's begin with, I guess, something of a kind of bird's eye view of what is happening. Uh, verse 1, 24 verse 1 says, Jesus left the temple. A few chapters earlier, we saw how Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, entered the temple. And he threw out the market traders. And since then, he's been in the temple engaging with the religious establishment. They want to kill him. And he doesn't want to let them escape the fact that they are sinners who need a savior. Um, We saw in Matthew 23, the great compassion of Jesus who runs to them in mercy if only they would receive him. Uh, But now in chapter 24, very decisively, Jesus leaves the temple. He goes away. And as he goes away, the disciples draw his attention to the great buildings. They were great buildings, magnificent buildings, very impressive. And Jesus says to them in verse 2, you see all of these, these great, great buildings? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. It's really hard for us to grasp how cataclysmic that prediction was. No, but these men Jesus was speaking to, the temple was the heartbeat. It was the center of life. No, despite all of its corruption and troubles, the temple proclaimed that God was in charge and the people belonged to him. The, the disciples uh, connect the dots. They see the implications. They want to know more. So verse 3, they ask Jesus, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
You see how, how fast their minds work as they see the significance. If the temple is destroyed, it means that King Jesus is about to come. Uh, the word coming here is the word used of a royal visit. Um, they're saying, when will Jesus come and bring in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven? When will this age, as we know it, come to an end and the new age begin? Well, Jesus' answer is Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, notice there are two questions that the disciples ask. When will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How will they know this age is finally done and the new age has fully arrived? Broadly speaking, Jesus answers the first question in verses 4 to 35, what we're going to look at today. He gives some kind of time indicators leading up to the destruction of the temple. In verse 34, he says, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Everything he's about to speak of will happen in the lifetime of the disciples. And then he answers the second question from verse 36 to the end of chapter 25, which we'll look at in weeks to come. Uh, the, the answer there, just a sneak preview, is you can't know when he will come back, but you can be ready. We'll come to that. But our passage today deals with the question, when will the temple be destroyed? This isn't a kind of like hypothetical, theoretical thing for the disciples. This earth-shattering event is going to happen in their lifetimes. And so as Jesus answers the question, what he really focuses on is how do they live in such times? How do they conduct themselves? How do they survive in such times? Now, there's so much that is strange about this passage, so much hard to understand, and yet the thrust of it, the challenge of it, is, is, is not so much to get our heads around it. We have to do that, but we have to get our actions around it. Jesus is calling the disciples to live in a particular way. And, and as we look at that, what we'll see is that it's not just for those disciples back then. It has huge implications for us as we seek to follow Jesus today. How will the disciples survive? Well, let's look at a bit more detail, shall we? And we have the bit of benefit of hindsight. Um, we now know what happened after Jesus spoke these things in the years, um, in the years following. Uh, we, can, we can see in history how the relationship between the Jews and the Romans was a very turbulent relationship. Often there was fighting. And so in AD 66, kind of 40-ish years after this, there was a Jewish revolt against the Romans. The Romans attacked. They overran most of the country. Then in 68 to 69, the Romans pulled back. They had some internal conflict to deal with. But as they pulled back, there was, in effect, a civil war amongst the Jews. Um, there were lots of factions who fought each other. The fighting often happened in the temple grounds itself. And then the Romans came back in AD 69. Um, Jerusalem at this point was weakened, demoralized by all of its internal fighting, and the city got put under siege. Uh, the, the accounts of this time are pretty thickening. Um, I'm not going to give you any of the details, um, but it was pretty horrible. Uh, I, I read this week that no city has ever lost such a proportion of its population as Jerusalem did in that time. And then the city fell and the temple was destroyed. Jesus is anticipating all of that which is to follow. Now, how does he do it? Well, in verses 4 to 14, he describes a period of struggle. He says there will be false saviors and there will be troubles. There will be wars, famines, earthquakes. But verse 6, he says these are not the end. There will be persecution. That those who follow Jesus will be persecuted. And you read on in the book of Acts, you see the things that Jesus describes here acted out among the men to whom he is speaking. 
He describes a period of struggle. Then in verses 15 to 28, there is an intensification of it all. Verse 15, he says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. I don't know if that's a helpful comment or not. Um, that Daniel was writing 500 years earlier. He, off, he spoke, I think, on three occasions about the abomination that causes desolation. Seems that Daniel's reference was to something that had already happened by the time that Jesus was speaking. In, AD, in BC 167, 167 years before Jesus was born, there was another ruler who conquered Jerusalem and sacrificed pigs on the altar in the temple. A great offense to the Jews. Now Jesus, I think, now is saying, you are going to see something similar to that. Not totally clear what it is, but there'll be some kind of sacrilege around the temple. Now we can now look back at the events of AD 70, uh, and we can see that actually there's a number of contenders for what this might be. But Jesus is saying there'll be this thing that happens which will indicate the end of the temple is about to happen. And when you see it, flee. That's time to escape. You've got to get away. Verse 21, there'll be great distress. Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Verse 22 says it will be so bad that if it, if it goes on too long, no one would survive. And still he says there'll be deception. There'll be false hope. There'll be false saviors in all of this time. And in all of it, Jesus says, do not be taken in. Uh, this is not the coming of the Christ. He says, verse 27, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He's saying all this, all these horrors, the fleeing, the fall of the temple, none of it marks the arrival of King Jesus. When he comes, there'll, no, there'll be no misunderstanding, there'll be no mistaking. All of this is not that. And then verse 29 to 31, the end of the temple. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the final intensification will end in a final disaster for the temple. Uh, Jesus draws in some cosmic imagery um, taken from the Old Testament prophets to describe the events of AD 70. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. These images are images used by the Old Testament prophets to describe catastrophic falling of nations. And the, the extravagant language shows that this destruction of the temple wasn't just another moment in history. It wasn't just another political event. It signifies the end of what the temple represented. It signifies the end of the old. Why is the old ending? Because there is a new king in town. Now, why is the kingdom of this world crumbling that's what jesus is describing a crumbling of the world why is it crumbling because the kingdom of heaven has broken in it's crumbling because the king of kings has taken his place on his heavenly throne you see that there is another event happening as the world crumbles verse 30 they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory what does that mean well again jesus is quoting from daniel 7 Daniel 7 is such a critical passage and it. The, the prophet Daniel has this vision, a very weird vision, all these strange things. And, and towards the end of it, he, he describes it. He says he sees how the ancient of days, he sees God in all his glory sitting on a throne of fire with a river of fire flowing out of him. 10,000 angels around him. And then Daniel says, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is, is one that will never be destroyed. 
In Daniel's vision, he sees the Son of Man coming into heaven to receive his eternal, indestructible kingdom. So when Jesus says they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, he's not referring to his final coming when he brings in the fullness of his kingdom. He's referring to his resurrection and his ascension into heaven as the victorious king who has won victory through his death and he's won right to the eternal kingdom. Like he said a couple of chapters ago, Matthew 22, he will sit on the throne of heaven as the king of kings as his enemies are being subdued under him. Jesus tells his disciples that the temple will be destroyed. They say, when will it happen? And he answers verse 34, all of these things will happen in your lifetime. The fall of the temple was a unique moment in history. It was a, the terminal diagnosis on this age. The terminal diagnosis because the king of the age to come has taken his throne in heaven. And yet, so much of what Jesus uses to describe this period up to AD 70 um, comes from the second half of Daniel's prophecy, chapter 7 to 12. In fact, Daniel 7 itself, um, after Daniel has the vision, he gets given an interpretation of the vision. And his interpretation, uh, he, he's told that it's about how the saints of the Most High, the people of God, will experience and endure many sufferings, and then they'll get given a share in the eternal kingdom. The, the period up to the fall of Jerusalem, this kind of 40 or so years, is a period that is typical for the time of waiting for the arrival of Christ at the completion of the age, the time when he brings in the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. Now that time, we don't know when it will be. That's what we'll see in weeks to come. But but, for Jesus' followers, that time is exemplified. Their action is to be exemplified by what happens here. You see, Jesus, I I guess he's giving a roadmap. We've heard a lot about roadmaps, haven't we? Roadmaps out of coronavirus, out of coronavirus restrictions. Certain things will happen at certain times. Jesus is kind of giving a roadmap, but, but as he gives it, his concern is on the conduct of his followers in those times. His concern is, how will these men in front of him and those who come to follow him survive to the end? How will the people of God endure the struggles of this life and then finally receive that share in the kingdom of heaven? And I reckon as Jesus says that, he tells his disciples there are two things they need to do. The first thing they need to do is they need to have their eyes open. They need to open wide their eyes. What is it going to be like to follow Jesus? The old is crumbling away. The new is coming in. Not a time for peace yet. And so Jesus warns his disciples that there will be trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, verse 6 speaks of wars and rumours of wars and panic, fear. Verse 7, there'll be famines, earthquakes. The disciples will live in a world that is groaning and there'll be struggles and suffering. And and then not only that, but they'll be hated. Verse 9, there'll be persecution. And, and not only hated from within, from without, but also within their own community, there will be betrayal. Not only will others hand you over and hate you, he says, but among yourselves, people will fall away and they will hand you over and hate you. And there'll be trouble, says verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. There'll be trouble, says Jesus. And he says also there'll be tricks. Trouble and tricks, verse 4. Watch out that no one deceives you. There'll be all kinds of people in this time claiming all kinds of things and presenting all kinds of hopes and it'll be false. And lots of people will get deceived by it and tricked by it and they will turn from Jesus and try and put their hope in something that won't work. Trouble and tricks. Just what happened to Jesus. Back in Matthew 4, we see how the devil assaulted him in the wilderness, trying to deceive him, trying to trick him. He was tricked and also 
He was troubled, handed over to those who hated him, and they killed him. Jesus says to his disciples, open your eyes. There will be troubles. There will be tricks. The enemy will try to trip you and take you away just as he did for me. The things that Jesus experienced in this world is what his followers will experience. In Revelation 14.4, it says those who trust Jesus will follow the lamb wherever he goes. That that's the case. If anyone wants to follow Jesus, we follow where he goes. And where did he go? He went through trouble and he went through tricks and his people will follow after. Now, that's the same for us. If we are to survive, we shouldn't ignore the troubles and the tricks we face in the world. Life is hard. It can be really hard and it can be even harder when we try to follow Jesus. So what do we do when it's when it's troubling, when there are tricks around? Well, verse six says, don't be alarmed. Troubles will trouble but they shouldn't surprise us. Don't be alarmed by it. Don't be surprised. And remember what we're surviving for. Surviving implies a destination. What are we struggling for each day? What do we survive each day for? Where does it it go to? In verse 13, Jesus says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is the kind of surviving that Jesus puts before his disciples. It's a, it's a surviving out of this world of pain and sorrow. It's a surviving out of the guilt and the shame of our brokenness. It's a surviving into the fullness of the full kingdom of heaven, the place where joy abounds and, and life is lived and sorrows are all behind. Jesus says, you've got to keep going. Stand firm. It's going to be hard, but stand firm. You see, saving faith is not a flashy thing. A saving faith isn't about making a great big start. Saving faith is about shuffling forward day by day. One foot in front of the other, keeping on, keeping on. And part of that is just remembering what it is we're surviving for. But as we do, we pray for relief on the way. You see how when Jesus describes the end of Jerusalem, he says to his disciples, flee it. Get away from it. That's a right response in times of trouble. Flee it. He says it's going to be dreadful for people who are pregnant, for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or the Sabbath. That there are going to be struggles in life. We shouldn't be kind of like silly about it. They are going to hit us and we are going to struggle. They're going to be bad and we should run from them. And when it happens, we should pray for relief. That's what Jesus says here. Pray for circumstances that will make it more bearable. We should do that. Now, what's it going to be like to follow Jesus? There will be trouble and tricks. And we are to open our eyes to these things and remember what we're surviving for and pray for help on the way. We're to have our eyes open. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, we are to have our eyes up. Eyes open, eyes up. How will you survive? How will you stand firm to the end? Now, when troubles come in and when others fall and when your love grows cold, how will you stand firm? There is one thing that is needed. Verse 30 tells us how the Son of Man has gone into heaven with power and great glory. Christ is on the throne. Now, everything that Jesus describes here, when it's all happening, when, when trouble's around and when wickedness increases, when it looks like the world is falling apart, at that moment, Christ is on the throne. Now, how, how is it that we know what it is we're surviving for? Now, how do we know? How do you know that the struggle of this life will end in the glory of the kingdom of heaven? Now, how do we know that suffering will not have the last word in our life? How do we know? Because we look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who walked the path of trouble. Jesus Christ who was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus Christ who just a few days after he said this, walked up a hill outside Jerusalem and was crucified. Jesus Christ who suffered 
um, to an extent that we will never fathom. Because on that cross, he suffered under the judgment of God against the sin of all mankind. As it were, he descended into hell. The grave and death seized hold of him. And if that was the end, then we are surviving for nothing. But after three days, the grave opened and life walked out. And the Son of God, the Son of Man, entered heaven to receive his kingdom. And Revelation 14.4 says that those who trust themselves to him will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Through the suffering of this life, yes, but then into the glory of the life to come. Now, how do we know the struggle of this life will end in the glory of the kingdom of heaven? Because we look to Jesus Christ. He blazed the path for us, and now he's on the throne. And how do we know he's on the throne? Well, verse 30 says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. The Son of Man's in heaven. That's where he is right now. Right now, as we sit here in Little Paxton, the Son of Man is on the throne in heaven. How do we know he's there? What's the sign of it? Well, verse 30 says, People will mourn. The link is to the prophet Zechariah, which speaks of mourning because they killed the Messiah. And then verse 31 says, The Son of Man will send his angels with a loud trumpet. And they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. What is happening on earth when the Son of Man rules in heaven? Well, first of all, there's a conviction of guilt because of the rejection of the Messiah. You ever experienced that? So he's that the Son of Man's in heaven. Secondly, there is the gathering of Christ's people. There is the growth of the church. At the end of Matthew's gospel, after Jesus has risen, as he is ascending, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. How can we see that Christ is on the throne in heaven? We see it because there is a church on earth. Now the Christian faith, like no other faith, begins with history. Christians believe that certain things happened in history. And from the moment of Christ's resurrection, those who believed these things happened grew and increased in number. A couple of decades after, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and he said, these things happened and you can go and see the eyewitnesses. Many of them are still alive. And that testimony went out and the church spread and it's continued to spread to all the ends of the earth. Why? Because the king in heaven is gathering together his people on earth. How can we survive? We look to Jesus Christ. How will we stand firm to the end? Well, it's because Christ in heaven will not let his people go on earth. You notice that? You notice that as he speaks of the awful things that happened in Jerusalem, those things that happened in AD 70, he says those days are cut short. Why? Verse 22, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of his own. And he says when the deceivers come in verse 25, they will deceive if possible, but it's not possible, even the elect. Now, the, the deceivers will come trying to take Christ's people away from him, but it's not possible. Because Christ is on the throne and the activity of Christ on the throne is to send his angels to gather his people. See, Christ came into the world to save his people from their sins and he will not fail to do that. So if you belong to Christ, he will not fail you. He will not let you go. And so we look to Jesus Christ. We trust Jesus Christ. That's where the passage ends, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away. This whole world can crumble and fall around us. But Jesus says, my words will never pass. Calling us to trust him. Trust what he says. Why do we trust what he says? Because Christ is. Now how can we survive? We look to Jesus Christ. 
We trust him to hold us. We take him at his word. And as we do that, we join him in his mission. Verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Who's going to do that? How do we respond to the tricks and the deceptions and the falling away and the growing cold? We trust Jesus, yes. But won't we also tell about him? What are you surviving for? Where does it all end for you? The good news of the kingdom says trusting Christ it will provide a kind of surviving that will satisfy your soul forever and ever and ever. Christ will receive you if you are willing. Even now he will receive you. What are our friends and our neighbours surviving for? Where does it end? Whatever ways they manage to cope through life, then what comes of it? Why would we keep the gospel of the kingdom of heaven to us? How will we survive the day? Just an ordinary day, like, like tomorrow. How will we survive it? How do we get through it? And then the next day. And then all the days until that final day. How are we going to survive? Well, Jesus' instructions encourage us to have our eyes open. Let's not ignore what's going on around us. We look at the troubles. We've got to be alert to the challenges. Pray for relief in the midst of them. But let's have our eyes up and remember Jesus Christ. He has suffered for your sins. He has paid for your ransom. And now he sits in glory with all authority in heaven on earth given to him. And he has promised to hold you. Take him at his word. Tell others. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. We will and we do and we know it. But he says take heart. Because Jesus Christ has overcome them. Our God in heaven, we, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for what he has done for us and what he is doing for us right now as he sits in power and glory. Would you, by your spirit, lift our eyes to him, to see him, to remember him. To remember that as we trust him, we will follow him wherever he goes, which will mean trouble and suffering now, yes, but glory and peace and life to come. Help us to have our eyes open. Help us to have our eyes up. Help us to take heart because our Saviour has loved us to the end and he has overcome the world. Amen.